0: It's um, going through our verse by verse study of First and Second Peter, and uh, we thank God for the fact that uh, we're more than conquerors through Jesus. The Bible says that uh, when the Lord looked at Simon Peter and asked uh, the disciples, "Who do men say that I am?" and they gave various answers, John, you know, John the Baptist. Elijah and whatnot, one of the prophets. He said, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered correctly. You know, you're the son of the living God. You're the Christ, the Savior. And he said, uh, blessed are you, uh, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And he commended him for what he said because he knew that it came from heaven. And he said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And uh, it's helpful for us to remember that based on that picture, the church is not on the defensive. The church is on the offensive. If we're not careful, we can get the idea that we're just kind of up in a corner somewhere and we've got these gates that are are protecting us from the onslaught of uh, the forces of hell when in reality, uh, hell is trying to protect itself from us. Uh, We're on the offensive. We are not on the defensive. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Praise God how to live for that. So let's keep that in mind when we realize that in First and 2 Peter he's given us instruction on how to live and respond to persecution. In 1 Peter arguably you look at see um, persecution from the standpoint of the attacks mounted from outside the church against her, uh, Christ's bride. And then in 2 Peter we look at in, in essence um, the warning about the attacks that will happen inside. So we get it from both sides. But let's not be discouraged. Even though it's coming from both sides, all that does is just say it's the puny efforts of the devil to derail what he cannot derail. And that is that God's building in His church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Praise His holy name. Uh, before we begin, though, I want to ask you something. I went to uh, uh, and bought some pencils. Pens. These are pretty good pens, actually. I'm kind of picky about pens anymore i guess the older you get the more you get messed up stuff like that and uh and but these are pretty good pens here and i bought these and here's what i'm asking uh does everyone in here have a pen okay you did you you do it because i'm gonna ask andrew can you get up and summon a couple of your buddies and make sure everybody around here has a pen and you know what this is a gift so we're not asking for it back but if you don't, would you just be kind enough to just, if you don't have a pen, raise your hand and let Andrew, Yeah, uh, you go. Thank you, Jenny. And um, if you don't have a pen, it's very important. So please, you got to have one. Everybody has to have a pen if you can write. Um, and uh, keep raise your hand, will you? Okay. Everybody? Okay. Now, also, if we need paper, so... If you need a piece of paper, I got an index card. Does anybody need paper? Okay. Um, there you got Okay. Spencer? Thank you, Spencer. If anybody needs some paper, raise your hand and Spencer will give you uh, a piece of paper. Now, you can write, I mean, obviously, anywhere you want to, but I just want to make sure you got a pen and a piece of paper. Because everybody, by God's grace, except those who can't write and read, finally leave here today. I want you to write down something, please, if you will. It's very, very important. Please do that. So make sure everybody got one. And again, we're not asking for it back. Nobody's gonna be checking. You got? Okay, Jude. All right, Jude. That makes me even with your dad. He gave me a real nice pen the other day. Amen. But it's not as nice as this one. I mean, his is nicer than this one. Crazy. I'm sorry. By the way, Judah, I'm sorry. When I saw you at the funeral the other day, Catherine got on to me because uh, I said, Judah, that's a nice looking tie. And you said, I know, but I hate ties. And I said, yeah, I hate it too. And I sounded like I said, I hated your tie. And Catherine, when I walked off, Catherine went, you just, Daddy, you just told me you hated this tie. I didn't mean that. What I meant was, like you, I don't like to wear them either. Okay? Are we straight? Are we in fellowship with one another? Good. Okay. All right. Kathy and i straighten that out, okay? At <laughs> is she's going to get on to me for saying something about it now. Okay. Um, all right, everybody got it? we we all got our utensils? We're ready to go? Okay. The name of the title of the... Thank you, Spencer. The title of this message is The Sure Word. The Sure Word. And there's a phrase in the text that we're going to go through right now in a moment that that is, is a small phrase, but it has big, 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 big implications. And that's why I want you to write this down when we come to it. But uh, if you're physically able, will you stand with me as we read from God's Word as an act of reverence and respect for it and the God who wrote it. Second Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 16 and following, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses Of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard his voice which came from heaven, and we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we had the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of men, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's the word of the living God. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Appreciate that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for its power. It's not just that the word in itself is powerful, but it's the God who spoke it. And we know that if you can take nothing and make something out of it, God, would you bring us to nothingness so you can make something out of us. And we thank you for the Word and we pray you'll implant it deep in our hearts. I pray you'll plow up and till up the ground of our hearts so that the Word finds its way easily there and it's not some hard surface that where it just sits up on the top and the devil snatches it away. God, I pray that you just bust open our hearts and make us pant for you. We're thankful, Lord, that in salvation you sought us, but in sanctification we seek you. And we're so grateful, Lord, that without faith it's impossible to please You. But He who comes to You must believe that You are and that You reward those who diligently seek You. And so, Father, we're diligently seeking You today in Your revealed Word as You reveal Yourself. Thank You that You're knowable. And thank You, though, that although there's a mystery to You, yet You make things clear. And I thank You that, obviously, that the cross of Your Son, is where the crystal clear communication took place. And we praise You and worship You, Jesus in your sweet name we pray. Amen. You remember Peter is preparing everybody uh, for the false teaching that's going to come among them. to try to derail them again like we talked about. And although that's not going to happen, the Bible says if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived. But thank God it isn't possible. Hallelujah. And so uh, so Satan has long since learned that um, perhaps maybe the most potent uh, attack that he can make against the church is comes from within. As wolves... In sheep's clothing come to try to deceive and and uh, and lead god's people astray and before he ever talks about the pathology and the and the pattern of the false teaching he's asking them to be right he's encouraging them you be right with the lord because you're going to need discernment when this comes in among you you're going to need discernment and by the way discernment is not a gift of the intellect discernment is a gift of the spirit it's not just smart people who have discernment. As a matter of fact, smart people sometimes have the least amount of spiritual discernment because they trust in their own wisdom and rather than being broken enough to trust in God's. Sometimes our minds can be an impediment to faith, Not certainly not uh, the, um, the uh, avenue through which it's carried. And so we uh, look and see, and Peter's preparing them, and he's saying, add to your faith, supply your faith with virtue, uh, to uh, virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, um, to uh, to godliness, to godliness, um, uh, and perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. If these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of God, and, uh, and your call to an election will be even more solid than ever before, and you will ensure that you will never stumble and you have a... Entrance into the eternal kingdom of our great God. He goes through all of that and then he says, By the way, I want to tell you something. I've seen his kingdom. I've seen his kingdom. I didn't come up with some concocted story, some some cunningly devised or subtly concocted deceit to, to mislead you. I didn't come I didn't I didn't come about this with a fable. That word fable is from the Greek word from which we get our English word myth. I'm not drawing upon mythology here. I'm not giving you spiritual truth to that that uh, I'm not giving you a story that you can live spiritual truths from by way of analogy. I was eyewitness, I've seen his kingdom. I've seen it. I've seen it. Can you imagine that having the testimony that you've seen Christ in all of his glory? Did you know that Jesus is God? Jesus doesn't just point us to God. Jesus is God. And when He came down on earth, He's 100% man and 100% God. But He's God. And He clothed Himself with human flesh. And over that clothing of human flesh, inside is His radiant glory. And there came an occasion in Peter's life, and you'll remember it, where he was taken up to the mount we call the Mount of Transfiguration. And he's talking about that here. But let's let's parse this out a little bit. He said, "It's not a, it's not Greek mythology. It's not about some gods and the attack they mount against each other to prove some some uh, truth that we can live from that. This is actual account. I saw him. I was eyewitness to the kingdom that you're going to have an entrance to. I've seen him." And he said, in "His second coming. He's coming again." Peter is picking up from the theme in 1 Peter because he had a lot to say about the second coming in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, 1.7, 1.13, 4.13, and 5.4 no less, he mentions the second coming of Jesus. You know, we've talked about it before time and again. Some people will say that you're no heavenly, some people are so heavenly minded and earthly good. The truth of the matter is you're no earthly good until you're heavenly minded. That there is a kingdom coming for which we groan and pant for. There is. Christ is coming again. Hallelujah. We're not looking for a sign. We're listening for a shout. He's coming again. And he said, you know what? I saw Him in all of His glory, in His sojourn on earth. He let me and two others like me see Him. I'm giving you an eyewitness account. Remember now, it's an eyewitness account. When, it, when he talks about the fact that he had a... said, so we didn't follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses. The word, the thrust of that word is this. We were prepared and privileged spectators to his glory. God didn't just all of a sudden, without somebody watching, by accident let them see him in his glory. As a matter of fact, he told them he was going to show it to them. And was prepared and privileged spectators. Now, this, what we talked about, is his testimony, his eyewitness account of the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let's go look at that for a moment. Look at Luke chapter 9. Now, we're building, so stay with me. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Go with me there if you will. We're going to go back up to 23 and uh, read through 36. He said, "This this is an eyewitness account, I'm telling you, of this account in the Gospels. It's also in Matthew and Mark as well. Here's what he says. Jesus said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whosoever is ashamed of me, in my words of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his Father's glory and of the holy angels. He said, okay, wait a minute, hold a second. I'm coming again to this earth in my glory. I came in a manger the first time. This time, I'm coming back in my glory. Full throttle. You're going to see me the way I really am. I'm coming again. And if you want to be a part of that, then follow me. And then he says, okay, here's the thing. I'm going to give you a, a, a preview of coming attractions. When to take three of you, I'm going to show you something that nobody else ever got to see. He said, look what he said, verse 27. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Well, that cannot mean that there are some in his audience, of those 12, that, that, that are going to get to see his second coming before they die, because they didn't. We know that. So what that means is is that he's about to go and carry them up on a mountain and let them see the kingdom of God. Now so see, here's some insight about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a place. The kingdom of God is not a geographical area. The kingdom of God is found in Christ. He is the kingdom of God. Why? because he didn't regard equality with God as something to be held on to, but humbled himself and became a man. And the Bible says he became the slave of God. Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, became the slave of God, put himself under God's, the Father's authority, became a man, took on human flesh, thereby able to reach and redeem, sorry, rebellious sinners like you and I used to be clean us up and make us fit for a clean heaven. So he took his equality with God and put it under the authority of the Father. And now, because he did that, he was under the complete sway, control and utter leadership of the Father. And he purchased the kingdom for us. Christ doesn't point us to the kingdom. The kingdom is not geography. The kingdom is God the Son. He said, you're going to get to see the kingdom. Your prospect and your hope of being in the kingdom is not found in any geographical location. Your hope for the kingdom is to be found by being in me. Isn't that awesome? He said, you were with Adam one time. Adam's a rebel. Adam's outside the covenant promises. He's got nothing but condemnation coming his way. You were once in Adam. But once baptized into Christ through the new birth, the kingdom of God is within you because now you're in my Son. And if you're in my Son, you're free because the only one who perfectly obeyed me is my Son. That's why I'm proud of Him. And everything that I think about Him, I bequeath to you through repentance and faith in Him. Believer, rejoice. And he said, I'm going to show you the kingdom of God. I'm not going to take you up to heaven and just let the clouds roll back and show you heaven. I'm going to show you heaven right now because heaven is me. There's not some geographical location. And so he said, I'm going to let you see my glory. I'm going to let you see the kingdom of God. And what he meant was, eight days later, it wasn't that they were going to live to see His second coming. As prophesied in Revelation and parallel passages, it was going to, they were gonna to get to see him in all of his glory. So eight days later, what does it happen? It says, now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings, he took Peter, John, and James. They're the ones. These are the three. You're not gonna see death until you see my kingdom. And he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening. Oh man. We can't even do we can't do anything with that except read it and say, Oh, 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 there's coming a day when we'll see him as he is. Hallelujah. In all of his radiant glory. We can't imagine what that must be like, but we're gonna see him one day. Because I know that my Redeemer lives. And his face was white and glistening. And his robe was white and glistening. And he showed, he, he took off that human shell, that humanity. He didn't renounce his humanity, but he took it back and he, he rolled it back. And he rolled back the clouds of heaven and let them see the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is in Christ. And in so communicating that to them, he was saying, This is what you've got to look forward to because you're going to come just like this. You're not going to become God, but you're going to be so rightly related to me that you're going to be like me because you will see me as I am. First John chapter 3. Oh, what a glorious time that must have been. And then who does he see up there with him? But two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared with him in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. As we've gone through, those of you who've been with us in the Roman study we've talked about that. What does Moses and Elijah represent? The law and the prophets. And in a macro sense, what is that? The Old Testament. So the Old Testament is standing there, not with the New Testament. The Old Testament is standing there speaking of the one they wrote about in the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written as the rest of the Bible, to reveal Christ. And they're having this conversation and the purpose of their writing and the reason for their writing was a portrait of the Christ they were standing in front of. The whole Bible was standing right there in front of them. And the discussion is not about... um, uh, And look at the theme of the Old Testament here. What are they speaking of? His decease. His decease. Spurgeon said this one time. I think it was him. He said, no matter where you go in the Scriptures and no matter where you're preaching, just make a beeline to the cross. It's exactly right. exactly right. Like we've talked about in heralded Time Again, this is a Jesus book. And if we miss the theme for which it was written, then we're not acquainted with the God who wrote it. And we can't get to know Him. We've got to see it the way He wrote it because He wrote this. And it was a portrait of His Son. His deceased, think of what's all involved there. His incarnation... His, de- his, his arrest, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, and his imminent ascension, and hope of coming and return. It's all capitalized right there, and that's what the Bible's all about. So here we are, the Bible speaking of its subject, standing right in front of you. You remember, it harkens us back to the words that Jesus gave to the religious crowd in John chapters five. Verses 39 and 40. He said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have life. But these are they which testify of me. But you won't come to me. Then them I have life. You've poured over them. You've got them memorized. And the subject matter is standing in front of you. And you've missed me by a country mile. He's, like, he's saying, who do you? All of that that you've been reading is to point you to me. To point you to me, this is what we see him in transfigured in all his glory. That's what all those writings point to, is the Son of Glory, God's beloved Son. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. And he's there to witness it. He responded the way we would have. You got to be careful. The, The spokesman of the group, Peter. Peter arose. Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it happened as they were parting from him, and Peter said, Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. What he's saying is, we got the Old Testament, the New Testament is parsed it out. no, 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 no. Moses and Elijah are not on equal footing of the Son of God they're not on equal footing. He said, listen, no, 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 no. If we're going to build three tabernacles, it needs to be for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Not for Moses, Elijah, and my son. Don't put them in the same category because this is my son. It didn't say this is Moses and Elijah and Jesus and whom I'm well pleased. The only reason I'm well pleased with Moses and Elijah is because I'm well pleased with my son and they put their faith in him. And now because of his pleasure and the pleasure I have over him, I bequeath that to them. Don't put them on equal footing. They're not. They're to point you to him. This is my beloved son. So what does he hear? He hears a cloud comes over them and overshadows them and they're fearful and they enter the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is is my beloved son. Hear him. Forget about this tabernacle building. This is my son. Don't miss this moment. This is my son. Wake up. This is my son. Wake up, church. Wake up, church. We don't point people to ourselves. We don't point people to the church. We don't point people to creeds and plans and and principles. We point people to the principal giver. We are here to point people to God's son. That's why we're here to somebody through the power of the Holy Spirit pointing to me. And he said, this is my son. I'm right proud of him. Don't forget that. I'm right proud of him. That's my sacrifice. That's my sacrifice for your sins. I'm proud of him. I'm so grateful the Lord confirmed that yet again. Testimony from heaven. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? You go back a little bit, and when he was baptized, same thing. (laughs) He had God speaking from heaven. The Holy Spirit, like a dove. And you had God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, God the Son giving testimony. That's my Son. That's the Lamb of God right there. That's the answer right there. That's that's it right there from the foundation of the world. He said, I saw that happen. I've seen him in his glory. I'm about to come out of my tent. See, Jesus had a tent on. And he took the tent and he unfolded it and said, here's what's underneath this tent. And then Peter said, look at the previous verses in 1 Peter. He picked up on this. Peter learned some things that we need to learn. Look what he said. Jesus took his tent and folded it back for just a little bit. And let me see what was underneath. And now I've got a tent. And he's told me that I'm about to take off mine. And when I step out of his tent, the Bible says, That because of Christ and what He did on the cross and because God's acceptance of His sacrifice on my behalf and showing me that He was accepting of it by raising Him from the dead, that when I step out of this tent, I will disrobe and I will be in the presence of God Almighty. Because for the believer to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And it's not a corruptible body. It's not a body that's given to disease or death. It's a body that's been freed of all of it. Because the Bible says we don't know what we will be like. 1 John 3. But we know this. We will be like Him. Because we'll see Him as He is. See, the only way to see Him as He is is to be like Him. If you're not like Him, you can't see Him as He is. is. You only die. You can't see God and live. So to see God and live means you got to be conformed into His image, and that will come full circle. And that's what we have to look forward to. Don't you? Are you? Don't you get disgusted by the sin that you're? It's not that you are in Adam. It's just that Adam is in you. And until we get to future glory, you're in Christ. But we've got this wrestling match going on that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7. But don't you look at that sometimes and go, the very thing I'd like to do, I wind up not doing. And the very thing that I want to do, I wind up, I shouldn't do, I wind up doing. And you get disgusted with that. The moment you take off your tent, that's over. And you will have experienced freedom from the penalty of sin, Freedom from its power. And you and I will be eternally free from its presence. Amen. (laughs) That's bigger than you think. Because everything that we look and see around can be traced back to the fact that through one man, sin entered the world and thus death. And death spread to all men because all men have sinned. Any questions? The psychiatrist goes back to childhood. The gospel goes back to Adam that's where everything started and the sin in Jesus Christ destroyed that and we're going to step into glory with him one day hallelujah why some man like Paul could say for me to live is Christ and to die is gain hallelujah and so he said I've seen this but I want you to get Hang hang this with me now you got your pen and paper keep it with you and then Peter says Interestingly enough, he said, I'm about to put off this tent. Look at it in the preceding verses. I'm about to put off this tent, like the Lord told me. Just like he showed me, showed me, put off his tent in Mount Transfiguration. If it happened to him, it's gonna to happen to me. I'm gonna put off the tent. That's all it is. Knowing that I want you to have a record of this after my decease. Just just for the fun of it. Would you be interested in knowing? the same Greek word from which deceased is translated there is the same Greek word from which deceased is translated in the conversation that Jesus had with Moses and Elijah and they spoke of his decease. He's using the same word. He got it. He got it. Exactly what happened to Christ is about to happen to me. That's what death is for the Christian. It's just a veil that we walk through. Hallelujah. And until then there'll be fruitful labor if we'll trust him. Therefore, we can say in a crescendo of praise with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die always oh, gain. Hallelujah to his name. He said, My decease is about to occur. Peter picked up on all of this, my tent, the deceased. I mean, he's listening. He finally woke up. And he said, Listen. We're eyewitnesses of His majesty. He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How did He know that? Because He was on the mountain. He heard it. He said, this is an eyewitness account. I saw this happen. And we heard the voice which came from heaven when we were with Him on the holy mountain. Majesty means splendor, grandeur, magnificence. Honor means exalted status. Does that sound familiar? Philippians chapter 2 Jesus Christ became obedient unto death, and therefore God has what? Highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah to his name. Glory means radiant splendor. You know what glory means? Let me give you a working definition for glory. It means show off. That's what it means. You're showing out. And the only person it's right for to show out is Jesus. The rest of us show out. It's just a sinful mutation of Him showing out. But when He shows out, it's right. Because He's worthy. Amen? He showed out. And I saw Him from the excellent glory. It means heaven. Excellent glory. And some of your translations might be capitalized. Look at it. Does the E capitalized is g capitalized you know what it is it's another word for god he's referred to as the excellent glory the supreme show off he said this is my beloved son whom i'm well pleased he said beloved to speak of divine nature he's my son and i'm pleased with him beloved because of divine love and christ from heaven says the same thing in the scriptures about me and you You are partakers of the holy nature through the exceedingly great and precious promises that we've been given through the faithful obedience of Christ. We've been imputed with His righteousness, credited with His righteousness. We've been made free. We're right with God. Hallelujah. We're at peace with God. We have standing in grace and we're the beneficiaries of divine love. And Jesus said, as much love as exists from the Father and the Son is the same love I have for you. Don't let the devil talk you out of that. Boy, he loves to. He said, look, this is my beloved. Oh, man. And then he says this. Now, this is 19. Here it is right here. I want you to listen to me. Several years ago, and how long it's been now, um, I was uh, in my devotion time. I was in Second Peter. About 10 years ago now, I guess or so. And I had one of those moments where my life got changed. I mean, I'm telling you, it just changed my life. And uh, Jill was in our bathroom and she was getting ready to go to bed and I had been devotionally in 2 Peter and I started out in the morning so I'm sitting there waiting for her and um, we have a nightstand beside our bed and I had a bible sitting there that I hardly ever use it just happens to be it it just happens to be, I'm so familiar with this bible now that I might not know exactly where the verse is but I can tell you where well you know what, that's on the upper left hand corner of that page I mean it's just, this thing's like a you know, I don't worship the Bible, but it's just a special friend, you know, and it's familiar to me and all that kind of stuff. So I keep it, I'm stuck with it, and that's okay. But it's a king, it's a New King James. That's nothing about the commentary about the translation. I don't get into that. Okay, but here's this happens to be a New King James. That's my devotional Bible. It so just happens to be there. But sitting on my nightstand was a King James version of the Bible. And so I said, Well, you know, while I'm waiting for Jill, let me just go messing around in Second Peter, see if I pick up something. With a different version of the Bible. Second Peter chapter one verse nineteen reads this in the King James Version of the Bible. It says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, would y'all write that down? Would y'all write that down? I'm going to go it slowly, but take the pen. If you don't use the pen that we gave you to write this down, we want the pen back. Mm-hmm. If you'll use the pen to write this down, we'll let you have it. Amen? That'll be a parting gift. It's, uh, here it is. Would you, would you write it down? Or it's somewhere in your notes, it says, We have also, we have also a more sure word of prophecy you got it we have also a more sure word of prophecy does everybody have it? we have also a more sure word of prophecy okay I'm gonna give you some examples. There are probably some New American standards in here. Okay, it says in New American, don't write this down now. Don't write, Please don't write this down. So we have the prophetic word made more sure. That's New American standard. NIV says this. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. The ESV version says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. All of those are not accurate translations of that verse. The King James is the accurate translation. Just trust me in that. I promise you I've looked into it. And when I read that, I almost fell off our bed. And for me, that would be a broken ankle because our bed's way up there. And I realized something that I never realized before. I said, Lord, by seeing the, new, the King... This is not about translations. It's not a message about translations. Some have more strengths than others. We, we don't go in there. The, accurate, the most accurate translation of that phrase is we also have a more sure word of prophecy. Now why is that important? Because what Peter is saying is this. Even though I'm giving you an eyewitness testimony of the Mount of Transfiguration and the hope of the second coming that that ensured for me, you don't go in my eyewitness account. It is not superior to Scripture. Think of that. What he's saying is this. Holy writ, even though this became part of holy writ, but by doing that, what he was saying, he was laying down a principle, and that's this. Do not exalt experience over truth. Do not exalt experience over truth. That is the fatal flaw of the charismatic movement. Leanings and utterances that Jesus' name is slapped onto that may or may not be consistent with His Word, or elevated to the point of His Word. And it leads many people astray. Now, again, think about it. He's a prophet. I mean, he's a uh, he's a pastor. He is an apostle. He is writing Holy Scripture. As a matter of fact, at the end of 1 Peter, 2 Peter, he affirms that Paul's writing it, because he calls Paul's writing Scripture. Alright? But listen. Now, whether he knew whether or not this was going to wind up in the Bible, I don't know. You get the sense that he did. Because he said, I'm going to leave a record of it for you after my decease. But what he's saying is this. Even though you have my accurate and trustworthy eyewitness account of the malatrix figuration, you you are not to take that as being superior or equal to the prophetic word that you already have. That's incredibly important. See, it is not the word of God that... Um, validates experience but experience should be tested by the word of God let's don't make one superior than the other, we have the word of God that's why, that's exactly why, there's another example of this in the Bible look at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 Go with me over there if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We used to say this every Sunday morning. Nancy and Brooke and Ashley and Spencer will remember this. and uh, We used to affirm this every Sunday morning when we began the service, this uh, Scripture. But look look at what Paul says right here. It's not that there's not a record of eyewitness account of people seeing Christ in the post-resurrection glory, or post-resurrection. But look what he says before he ever gets into the eyewitness accounts. Look what he says First. Look at verse 15, uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which I also received, in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Listen to this now. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins what according to the scriptures and he was buried and he rose again what according to the scriptures now after laying that down he gets into the eyewitness accounts but not the other way around He doesn't give the eyewitness accounts and then say, by the way, this was predicted in Scripture. He gives the scriptural truth that according to the Word of God, just like the Word of God says, Christ died. According to the Word of God, like He said, He was buried, and He rose again the third day. Now, we do have eyewitnesses, but their testimony is not superior to holy writ. writ. Because look at it. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried, rose again the third day. What? According to the Scriptures... Then he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some had fallen asleep. And after that he was seen by James, and by then, then by all the apostles, and then last of all he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. The apostle Paul surely in the in the in the in the in the flesh would have said, I know he's alive, because he appeared to me on the Damascus Road and took me off the donkey. And there I am, blinded. He didn't say anything about that. He said the record of Scripture says He was was crucified, He was buried, and He rose again. And He says nothing about His personal experience. I'm going to tell you something right there. There's nothing wrong with personal experiences. But don't let personal experiences bleed and be the basis upon which you receive and walk in truth. Let truth be the one through whom personal experiences are saved. Examples of this. People will say, "Well, you know what? It doesn't really matter how we do church as long as we get results. So we take the results and the personal experience and we exalt that above the truth. And we do things that are counter to God's Word because we view it to be a suggestion. And then we say, no, but God was in it because of this, the results. He's dealing with this and he anticipates the objections he's going to see then hear about and warn them of. Look at Second Peter three, three through four. That can be about past events. That can be also about the future. Look what he says. Look at Second Peter three, three through four. Same book. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their lusts, and saying, "Hey, where's the promise of His coming? Since the Father's fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation." What experience do you have to lend to this that there's any evidence that he's coming or he will come? He hasn't come yet. Our experience is he hasn't come yet. Well, he must not be coming. And he says, no, no, no. The Bible says he's coming. Until he comes, we're going to base our belief system and our actions and our lives on the fact that he's coming. That's how we deal with the scoffer. That's how we deal with the false teacher among us. We go, you know what? We are not those who elevate experience above truth. We use truth to evaluate and assay experience, but not the other way around. And the Apostle Peter to take a personal eyewitness account like that and say to them, I'm not a liar. I am an apostle. I've got credentials. I have the authority to write this. You could take this authoritatively because I have authoritative commission to write it. And even though I've given you an eyewitness account of what I saw, you go with the Word of God. Huge. That has a huge, huge implications about the way that thing's translated in other versions of the Bible. So, somewhere in your notes, I would encourage you when you're going over this with others and you're going over it with yourself, make sure that note's in your Bible somewhere, regardless of the version you use, and make sure that you understand that has it says in other versions something like this. Now we have the prophetic word made more sure because it's validated by Peter's experience. That's not the reading of the verse. The reading of the verse is, Peter said, Listen, even though I had an experience and I'm not lying to you, you go with the word. You go with the word. That's huge. That's huge. Let me tell you why that's going to get, that's huge and why that's going to be even more huge. It's because the only way to be able to parse out the lies from the truth is to know the truth. We talked about this many times before, but back when I was in the banking business, I know y'all heard this analogy, but I'm going to speak it again. The way they taught the Secret Service agents who came, when we came across a counterfeit bill. The way they trained them to recognize a counterfeit was not to study counterfeit bills, because there are a billion different, countless number of variations of a counterfeit that you'd have to study. The way they taught them to recognize a counterfeit bill was to be intimately familiar with what a real one looks like. And then when you know what a real one looks like, a counterfeit tries to pass, you'll go, "That's counterfeit. That doesn't look." And because you have embedded in your mind is what a real one looks like. That's the way Christian faith is. I, I, I just need to know what the truth is. You tell me the truth, and you try to throw a a, a lie across the bow of my life. If I've been walking with Jesus, and I'm acquainted with Him and His truth, and I've been in it, eating it, like a scroll, and you try to pass something off, I'll recognize it. I'll say, you know what, that's not so. And I don't care who you are, what your credentials are, it doesn't matter. That's not so, because this is counter to the Word of God. We are given to sensuality in the Christian culture now. We're given to personal leanings and private interpretations and people do in church in ways that are aberration and an absolute offense to God and His order. And we, we say, well, you know what? Let's just look aside and see. The results will prove themselves. No, they don't. No, because you're exalting experience over truth. That's the fatal flaw of the charismatic movement. It hurts a lot of people. That's why we go to the verses of the Bible and go verse by verse every Sunday and beg you to do the same. Not just so you can teach somebody you care about, but so that God can teach you. And then out of the overflow is what he's doing in you, the others will be a beneficiary. Don't exalt all experience of a truth. We have the more sure word. We have the more sure word. That's huge. And then he says, you know what? Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, you know what the morning star means there it means light bringer that's what it means the morning star it refers really to venus because it's the morning star that appears in the morning as the sun's rising and jesus said what about this about himself john 8 12 i'm the light of the world he who follows me will not walk in darkness but to have the light of life and the morning star is going to rise in our heart i don't know what we're going to look like but i know this here's what the bible says and we'll close and get ready Let's go ahead and look at it. First John, chapter 3. <clears throat> Please. First John. I love this. <laughs> chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. We have to be because we will see Him as He is. You can't live to tell seeing Jesus unless you're like Him. Because everything that's not like Him dies in His presence. And we're going to be like Him delivered from the presence power and certainly penalty of sin is that a big deal I tell you one thing it was a huge deal to Job Job went through all kind of suffering in the scriptures like nobody else except our Savior himself and look in Job chapter 19 here's what he said Lord are with me if you got a chance here turn left take a hard left and go to Job 19 I said I was going to close but I forgot about this one <clears throat> Job 19 <clears throat> verse 7 if I cry, cry concerning wrong I'm not heard if I cry aloud, there's no justice he's fenced up my way so that I cannot pass and he has set darkness in my paths he's stripped me of my glory and taken the crown from my head he breaks me down on every side and I'm gone my hope he is uprooted like a tree he's also kindled his wrath against me and he counts me as one of his enemies his troops come together they build up their road against me they encamp around all my tent he's removed my brothers far from me and my acquaintances are completely estranged from me my relatives have failed and my close friends have forgotten me those who dwell in my house and my maid servants count me as a stranger i am an alien in their sight I call to my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I am repulsive to the children of my own body. Even young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. All my close friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. My bone clings to my skin and to my flesh, and I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me. Have pity on me, O you my friend the hand of God has struck me why do you persecute me as God does and are not satisfied with my flesh listen to this here's the turning point all of that he says well here's the deal all that my words were written and they were ascribed in a book that they were engraved on a rock with an iron pen and lead forever because here is his hope lives and he shall stand at last on the earth and after my skin is destroyed this I know that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold and not another my heart yearns within me. Dear ones, our Redeemer lives. And if you've repented of your sins and put your faith in Him, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Do you put your faith and trust in Him? You live to. And you will see Him. You won't hear about Him from somebody else's account. It won't be secondhand. You and I will see Him with our own eyes and we'll behold Him. And that's validated not by the testimony of Peter. That's validated by the testimony of God the Holy Spirit who wrote the Bible. My circumstances have no me. Others have no say in that. My feelings have no say in that. My past has no say in that. My Christ has a say in that. And He lives. Oh dear ones, we're about to celebrate His life, death, burial, resurrection, and imminent return through the Lord's Supper. It's all rolled into one. He came, He died, in our place, and He lives. And He's coming again. And we're going to remember that till He comes. If you've repented toward God and put faith in His dear Son and you have a relationship, sit at His table. You have a place there. Make sure you're in fellowship with Him. Don't take this unworthily. Don't take it flippantly. Don't take it with unconfessed sin because that's the fellowship part that needs to be settled before you take this. You judge your sin if you have Confess in your life. Judge it now before God has to, and then enjoy this table. Enjoy this table. As the men come, let's pray. Dear Heavenly.